Well, this morning we are privileged to have Dr. Tom Hoyle again with us. He's no stranger to many of us as he's been ministering to us for, I think, over 20, probably close to 25 years. He was speaking out in our Sunday school this morning and talking about some of the larger creatures that God has created, um, especially the dragonfly. That caught my attention because, as many of you know, I drive motorcycle, and I love driving motorcycle in these summer days, and my windscreen's about this big. And um, I get a lot of bugs, and I get to see what's inside of those bugs continually. But he mentioned the dragonfly that has uh, had at one time a three-foot wingspan. The color of that bug would have been far less important to me at that time had it hit my <laughs> windscreen. Um, he also mentioned out in the other room that some 80% of our church kids are lost to the discussion of creation as they go out into the world, they get into colleges, higher education, which isn't all that high anymore, and they hear the non-truth of the world, and it seems to capture the attention of many and draw them away. So times like this are important, and for us, we should be thankful as a church that we have men in the body of Christ, like Dr. Tom Hoyle, that understands these things and can explain and help reinforce the church on the truth. Um, we are living in a world today that is suppressing the truth. The truth is out there, but according to Romans chapter 1, the world suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. But the church, according to Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, is the storehouse of the truth of God. So it's our calling as we go out into the world. We are the storehouse of the truth of Christ to go out in the world and present to them the greatest scientist that has ever lived on the earth. And we read of that this morning from Colossians chapter 1. The greatest scientist is the creator himself. Tom is here to share of that creator and the work of our creator. So would you come now, Brother Tom, and share with us. Welcome. Thank you, Pastor. Again, good morning. Good morning. For those I might not have met during Sunday school, my name is Tom Hoyle with Bible and Science Ministries. And since 1985, in the Jurassic period, our full-time ministry has dealt with the wonderful accuracy of God's word, especially in terms of history and archaeology and science. As we said during Sunday school, as I'm sure your pastor has preached and taught, the deeper we dig, the better God's word looks. And again, mind you, don't need to prove the Bible, do we? But since the Bible is always true, we would expect to find evidence. This is evidence that we can use in witnessing. This is evidence that we can use to encourage our young people. So in short, especially before COVID, I'm still recovering, not from the COVID disease itself, but my ministry. Before COVID especially, during the week, I'm in public schools, Christian schools, homeschool groups, Awanas, youth rallies, and that kind of thing. And of course, on Sundays, I get to be in God's houses like yours. And I can't thank you enough for your interest and friendship and support, without which we would not have a ministry the rest of the time. If you to think of it, we do covet your prayers, uh, not just with regard to getting after the pandemic, but rebuilding our weekday calendar. Uh, we're still getting schools signed up for that. If you would uh, say a prayer for my wife, she's having a tough time uh, medically, and I'm sure many of you uh, have a similar situation. But at any rate, during Sunday school, we talked about dinosaurs, undinosaurs. Now, true science indicates they were created, weren't they? They only reproduced after their own kind, and they did not evolve into birds, did they? Well, we're going to shift gears now to a literally red-hot subject. As you might already know, we're talking about the Bible and science overcome climate change. And I would be happy to talk with you afterwards if you've got any questions or comments about that. 
We've had some more questions, though, about the resources over here uh, in the entry area in front of the fellowship hall there. My favorite DVD on a subject, in fact, somebody here uh, has seen this DVD. They thought, they thought it was fantastic. Global Warming is a great DVD showing the other side of the coin that gets neglected. A terrific Christian book on a subject. It's simply called Global Warming and the Creator's Plan. A book I love because it's inexpensive and it's great to give the people. Three PhD scientists, including the world's top atmospheric physicist, Dr. Fred Singer, wrote a book called Why Scientists Disagree About Global Warming. And then, how many here have read a pig book? Pig stands for Politically Incorrect Guide. Okay, anybody? Okay, a couple of you have. There are 26 of them in print now. I sell about, I think, eight of them. And one of my favorites, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming. This book is super well documented. It's super accurate, and it's very witty, too. And then, regarding creation itself, we won't, don't want to leave that out. This is a book I wish I had written. It's my favorite book on divine design in nature, creation, remarkable evidence of God's design, and it's the theme of this Bible devotional. One page per day is all we ask. Each page has a scripture and has a wonderful article about some creature or what have you that clearly must have been created. It did not evolve. Hey, so much for all that. Again, pleasure to be with you. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump right in here. Could we have the lights, please? And yeah, yeah, go ahead and kill them all. Okay. <laughs> well, I got a response here, didn't I? Okay. <laughs> I'm all choked up. Now, am I the only one or how many here, when you watch the news on TV or read the newspaper, how many of you feel like this? Anybody? Okay, a few of us do. I'm one of them. That's right. Especially when it comes to climate fear, right? We are constantly being told, folks, that we're going to die. They recently conducted a survey in Britain. 50% of the British public thinks they're going to die due to climate change. 50%. Wow. Well, folks, today let's look at the Bible and science overcome climate fear. And if you're interested, we do have a sequel to that book. I mean, that book to this program, The Bible and Science Confront Crisis Climate Change. May we make four observations, first of all, regarding this subject, okay? Number one, this subject, it is colossal, isn't it? I had no idea. Long story short, um, I, when I was doing the research for this topic, I wound up reading 46 books about it, and dozens and dozens of articles, uh, websites, films, and what have you. I was astonished. When I got done putting together the program, it was two hours long, which is way too long, so I had to whittle it down to 50 minutes. I'm sure Pastor knows how that feels when you're making a sermon, right? But we had such a terrific response to this pro program that we have a sequel in which we cover everything we didn't have time to cover in the first program, all right? If we don't answer a question to your satisfaction in this program, we do have the sequel, and I'm more than happy to talk with you afterwards if you require clarification, explanation, or elaboration. And of course, we mentioned the books and DVDs. Secondly, besides being colossal, this subject is very controversial. Some very fine Christians disagree with each other on this program, folks. My suggestion, I think Pastor would agree, one of my favorite verses, let mercy and truth not forsake you, so you will find favor and good understanding in the guise of God and man. We need to disagree without being disagreeable, right? 
And my, by the way, folks, obviously we can't be getting into politics, all right? And then third, whoa, whoa. This subject is really complex. It gets very complicated. Uh, last time I spoke in England, this is what greeted me when I got off the subway. This is an updated map of the London subway system. It has 26 different lines. This British gentleman saw me very confused looking at this and goes, you look like a yank. And I said, well, yes, sir, guilty as charged. And he says, are you confused? I said, well, yes, sir. Oh, well, this is the improved subway chart. Well, folks, guess what? Climate change is more complicated than this, all right? But this program, we're going to try and keep it as family-friendly as possible. We're even going to throw in a few things from science fiction and what have you to keep the kids awake and interested, and hopefully nobody will be falling asleep, okay? And the next, folks, fourth, this program, it is very consequential about a very, very consequential subject. And in this program, as a result, once in a while, you might see a slide that has a key on it which indicates, in my humble opinion, we're making a key point, all right? If anybody's taking notes, those key points might be worth writing down. This morning, briefly, let's look at the why, the what, the who, the where, the when, and the how of climate fear, starting with why, and why on earth are we in your church talking about the weather? Glad you asked. In part two, we look at eight different major reasons why this subject is very important to Christians. I had no idea when I first began to research. Wow, I was astonished how important this subject it really, really is. But for the sake of time, we're mainly going to focus on reason number eight concerning great fear, and we can talk about the rest in the future if you want. With all due respect, I read Time Magazine when I go to the dentist. Time Magazine is probably the number one source of fear regarding climate change. They've had no less than 12 different issues with front cover articles warning you you're about to die. Or speaking of die, we come to Bill Nye, the science guy, and I call him Bill Nye the scary guy. Uh, I think he's pretty good usually, except when he comes to creation science, he has a fit. And he has a bigger fit when it comes to climate change. Case in point, folks, he was interviewed about this subject, and he very carefully and politely and scientifically said the following. The average temperature on Earth could, he said, go up another four to eight degrees. The planet's blank, blank on fire. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow up, blank, blank, got it. Safety glasses off, blank, blank. That wasn't very calm and cool and collected, was it? And by the way, he didn't say blank, blank. Folks, I recently finished reading this best-selling book. In fact, it may be the best-selling book regarding climate fear from David Wells. My copy came from eBay, and a previous owner inscribed on this book this statement. This book made me want to slit my wrists. The world is burning. Run. Do we need this, folks? Is the Lord the author of fear? By the way, this same author, at the end of the book, I read this. All climate change is governed by what? Uncertainty. Well, he sounded awfully certain before. Each of our projections comes wrapped in doubt. He had no doubts at all in this book, folks. The result of so many estimates and so many assumptions that would be foolish to take any of them so to speak to the bank. Young people, when you hear or read dogmatic statements about the fact you're going to die real soon about climate change, think about that statement, okay? 
Today, let's look at what I call the climate coin. Like most coins, this subject has two sides to it. All we hear in schools and in the media is all about climate fear. Well, you know what? We're going to look at the other side of the coin this morning, okay? According to Bible and science, climate reality. And please don't take my word for it. An awful lot of smart people agree with this premise. PhD, meteorologist, Roy Spencer said, global warming hysteria leads to bad science, pandering politicians and misguided policies that hurt the poor. And we're already seeing that, aren't we? Willie Soon, PhD, astrophysics, Harvard University. It or global warming is that kind of alarmism that appalls me as a scientist. One more example for now. PhD, atmospheric physics, Richard Lindzen, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Future generations, he says, will wonder in bemused amazement that the early 21st century went into what? Hysterical panic on the basis of gross exaggerations of highly uncertain computer climate projections. Folks, you will not hear statements like these in the average American public school. You will not read statements like this in the average newspaper today. You won't hear it in the average news program. But most of all, most of all, we turn to the word of God and we're reminded, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, including the climate, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. I have nothing against what I call basic light green environmentalism. What do I mean by that? Glad you asked. I hate drinking dirty water. How many here hate drinking dirty water? We all do. I'm against water pollution, folks. I hate breathing dirty air. I lived in LA for three years. You can see the air you were breathing in the 1970s. How many here want to drink, or want to eat, uh, breathe dirty air? Nobody, right? And then, don't get me started on litter. I hate litter. I think littering should be a capital crime, don't you? Well, no, not really, but you see my point, folks. I hate littering. There's no excuse for it, is there? Now, folks, I'm in favor of basic light green environmentalism. Don't litter, all right? Don't pollute water, okay? I am against extreme dark green environmentalism, which includes climate fear. Well, we go in a lot more detail in part two about why this is important to Christians, but let's move on to why is crisis climate change that leads to fear a key issue? Well, folks, let's define some terms, shall we? Crisis climate change, which leads to fear, is up against natural climate change, or what I think is reality, often still known as global warming. Well, folks, as far as crisis climate change is concerned, we are told from their websites, from their books, from their magazine articles, temperatures are increasing greatly due to Earth's greenhouse gases increasing, which leads to global warming. Man, that's you, all of you right here, you're overwhelmingly responsible, mainly due to additional output of carbon dioxide greenhouse gas. Now, there's also methane, etc., but carbon dioxide, that's the biggie, okay? This situation, it is serious, urgent, and imminent. Billions must be spent now, somehow, spend it, to save the earth. Well, crisis climate change is up against natural climate change, and we learn temperatures have temporarily increased moderately, Nature is chiefly responsible, mainly due to solar activity and other astro and geophysical factors. This situation is not 
so serious, urgent, or imminent, and billions can't or won't save the earth, but they can help provide clean water and electricity to the third world. In my humble opinion, and many, many PhD scientists agree, we're going to meet some of them, climate change is all about being a naturally occurring cyclical event over which man has little control. And again, a lot of smart people would agree. Very famous NASA astrophysicist, PhD, Robert Jastrow, very, very famous, wrote a ton of books. The scientific facts indicate that all temperature changes were due to man. Is that what he said? Were largely natural changes and were not caused by carbon dioxide produced in human activities. And we'll hear a lot more about that. But next, moving on, regarding why, why do so many people believe it? I'm sure there are very nice people here who have been watching the news, reading the newspaper, and are convinced the sky is falling, that we need to fear for our lives due to climate. In part two, we look at nine major motivations why climate fear has caught on like wildfire. And I'm going to cheat and give you a little advance notice. The number one reason is money. Money. Well, anyhow, many fine people believe we are doomed. But guess what? Bjorn Lomberg, and we go into much more detail about him in part two. When I refer to part two, folks, I'm just letting you know, I'm not skipping over anything. It's just that we've got too much to cover. And I'm not skipping over anything, but having to defer further comment for the future. Okay? Dr. Bjorn Lomberg, hardcore climate fear expert extreme environmentalist. He and his students decided to write the ultimate book, a statistical analysis regarding all the evidence regarding climate fear. When they got done, guess what? They completely changed their minds. Bjorn Lomberg left Greenpeace. He is now Europe's number one champion against climate fear. And he and his students wrote this massive book. It took me a while to get through it because it is semi-technical. This book is the ultimate book that statistically analyzes environmentalism, especially climate change. This book has 3,000 footnotes. This guy documents everything. He refers to 2,700 bibliographic entries. This guy did his homework, folks. I have never read any climate fair book that comes close to the scholarship of Dr. Lomberg's book here. He says, figures don't lie. I am just crunching the numbers, and as you can see, he concluded strong, ominous, and immediate consequences of global warming are often wildly exaggerated, and the public doesn't know the difference. Or a Canadian professor of atmospheric physics, he said, crisis climate change scientists who want to attract attention to themselves, who want to attract funding to themselves, have to do what? Find a way to scare the public, and they're doing a really good job. Instead, we turn back to God's word, and we're assured that our first goal should be the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He should be our focus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We discuss this more in part two. With all due respect, I come across so many Christians. They are totally preoccupied with environmentalism. And they care more about environmentalism than evangelism. They care more about creation and not the creator. They've been completely sidetracked, folks. 
I don't recall the Great Commission saying anything about getting rid of carbon dioxide. It says a lot, though, about winning the loss, doesn't it? Well, before I get in trouble, let's move on to the what of our subject. What's really up regarding carbon dioxide? Well, crisis climate change, which leads to fear, is mainly about severe global warming, and this is blamed for extreme weather and wildfires, for huge ice melts, for dramatic sea risings, and they basically blame it all on carbon dioxide, man-made carbon dioxide, and again, some methane. Well, here is another PhD. He's an astrophysicist, Princeton University. Their current warming has what? Little to do with carbon dioxide. Just like past warmings have had what? Little to do with carbon dioxide. <laughs> another PhD, climate expert. The global climate system is far too complex to be affected by one small component, carbon dioxide. Now, folks, when you read the newspaper over and over again, you will read or you hear in the news that now we have 424 parts per million carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. And you will be told it's never been this high, which is not true, by the way. And they will tell you, this is awful. This is terrible. Hmm. Let's back up. What are we talking about? 424 parts per million. Sounds awful, doesn't it? Folks, here's a breakdown of our atmosphere. 424 parts per million, folks, constitutes 0.042% of our atmosphere being carbon dioxide. Not 4%, not 0.4%, but 0.042%. Now, is that a little number or what? That's a really, really, really little number. That's a whiff, folks. And this whole brouhaha is over that much carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. You will never see this figure in the newspaper. Why? Because it's small. It looks small. It is small. By the way, folks, regarding greenhouse gases, 95% of our greenhouse gases is water vapor. <laughs> we can't outlaw water vapor. So they pick on carbon dioxide, which constitutes 4% of greenhouse gases. If you eliminated all carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, which there's no way you can do that, and you wouldn't want to because we'd have no photosynthesis for green life, for plant life, Folks, it would make very little difference regarding the climate. And by the way, folks, for the sake of argument, all facts and figures in this program I deliberately got from the other side. <laughs> that way they can't accuse me of being biased. A second comment about carbon dioxide. Folks, the fact is, Earth's climate, it is complicated. There are many pieces. Instead, my crisis climate friends, bless their hearts, I appreciate them, they want to make it all about man-made carbon dioxide, and they leave out anything else. Carbon dioxide becomes the ultimate scapegoat. When in doubt, blame it on man-made carbon dioxide and ignore everything else. Folks, 80% of meteorologists and atmospheric physicists are against climate fear, and they will tell you the biggest pieces in Earth's climate are due to solar cycles involving various lengths of time having to do with infrared, ultraviolet, and electromagnetic uh, from the sun, okay? Astrophysical factors. There are other astrophysical factors besides the sun, like cosmic radiation. And then, folks, there are geophysical factors. All of these are ignored. 
and all they do is harp on carbon dioxide. Regarding geophysical factors, I have spoken with astrophysicists about this, and they tell me, and these are technical terms, we can discuss them in private afterwards if you want, I'm not going to take up your time right now, but folks, they tell me these are all left out in the discussion. We're talking about orbital eccentricity, rotational obliquity, and axial precession. Or then, folks, other geophysical physical fact, physical factors like volcanism. Um, one time I was on a plane flight, and I got the worst seat you can get in an airplane, which is what? In between two great big guys, I'm in the middle seat, right? How many here have ever been in the middle seat and you're wondering, why me, God? <laughs> two great big guys, okay? I had a blast. Some of my best discussions are on airplane flights. The guy on my right is the vice president of America's biggest chocolate wholesaler. Wow, that was a fascinating discussion. I didn't know chocolate was so complicated. It was fascinating. But the other guy has a PhD in geomorphology with an emphasis on volcanism. I held my breath, crossed my fingers, and I asked him about climate change and volcanism, and I played devil's advocate. He had a hissy fit. He said, you cannot believe how much people like you, because I'm playing devil's advocate, all right? You people totally ignore the enormous impact that hydrocarbons from volcanism, that, what part that plays in climate change. At the end, I came clean and told him what I really thought. Go, oh, good, you didn't look that stupid. <laughs> I'm, I'm just quoting folks, okay? Anyway. Expert climatologist, astrophysicist, there is nothing simple about how the climate changes. Earth's climate is governed by a wide range of factors, not just carbon dioxide. Again, I'm reminded of scripture, Pastor, be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, especially when it comes to the news, and not just on climate change, any issue, folks. We need to be aware of where that article's coming from, right? Or... Who's saying what on that, on that news program and why? Speaking of which, now, now, that now brings us to the who of climate fear. First of all, the High Court of Justice in London, England. Whoa, landmark case. We go into more detail in part two. There was a huge long trial. They put on trial Al Gore's famous film, An Inconvenient Truth. Long story short for right now, 35 major fallacies were found in this film, which is terribly ironic because nobody thought it would turn out this way, the British judicial system is very, very liberal. And they almost always find in favor of the government. They found against the government and in favor of climate reality, not climate change. They zeroed in on nine different major fallacies out of the 35. The conclusion of Britain's highest court, which was totally ignored in the American press, Al Gore's film and films like Al Gore's film, books like Al Gore's books, represent political science, not physical science. Unfortunately, folks, I'm hyper-patriotic. I served in the Air Force Reserve for 35 years. Al Gore's film is still commonly shown in American schools without any rebuttal or refutation at all. It is taught as a fact. The various things he says in his film and in his book are taught as a fact, and the famous hockey stick graph that is used to push climate fear is presented as a fact. More about that in a minute. Next of all, who's who? The UN Climate Panel. Oh. The UN Climate Panel, folks, is by far the biggest, most influential 
climate agency in the entire world, and they're forever telling us the end is near. For example, they, they, the climate panels suggested, what's suggested mean anyway? 10% chance, 90%, they don't tell you. And they'll say, worst or highest on record. They never tell you how far back the record goes. I read recently in today's paper, they made a statement about on record, I had to do some research online, on record since 1944. Folks, you don't determine climate based upon a few years or even decades. Climate is based upon centuries. <laughs> and they're going back to 1944. That's not valid. And by the way, folks, in part two, we demonstrate America's hottest decade was the 1930s. But guess what? The articles don't go back that far. Well, back to our subject here, folks. Not once, but twice, confidential UN emails were intercepted, thousands of them, and the press was stunned to find out the UN climate panel was notorious for being reckless with the facts and ruthless with their tactics. Their famous hockey stick graph, which supposedly proves that things are warming up because of man-made climate change, it's been officially rejected by the UN, and they're the ones that came up with it in the first place. Atmospheric physicist Dr. Fred Singer will tell us the hockey stick graph is dead, but folks, again, I'm hyper-patriotic. The hockey stick graph pushing climate fear is taught as a fact in most American schools, even though the people who put it out now admit it's erroneous. One guy who would agree, Australia's most popular astronomer and cello player, the IPCC, which is the UN Climate Panel, has left astronomers and astronomy out of the equation, but astronomical links to climate are indisputable. He thinks there's far more to climate than just carbon dioxide. Or, well-known PhD in astrophysics, Bob Berman, I love reading Astronomy Magazine, he admitted, climate scientists have tried to fudge their math. Speaking of fudge, Freeman Dyson, I love this guy. Dr. Freeman Dyson is considered to be the successor of Albert Einstein. He took over for Einstein after he died. He took over Einstein's teaching at Princeton University. I read his books. He is brilliant. In fact, he's considered to be, well, he died two years ago. He's considered to be one of the top 10 minds of Western civilization. This is a very, very smart guy. What did he say? Climate our computer climate models are unreliable because they still use fudge factors rather than physics to, re to represent important things. And he's made some far nastier comments <laughs> about climate fear. However, on the other side, some well-meaning people, despite the facts, they will defend climate change, climate fear, to the nth degree. This one admits, to capture the public's imagination we have to offer up scarier scenarios, simplified dramatic statements, and make little mention of any doubts. <laughs> Folks, you know what? We cannot and will not save the earth, but we can do something about saving the world spiritually for the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I share these facts with many of my climate fear friends, they have actually admitted to me we know about the evidence against our position. But we think in order to save the earth, we have to lie and cheat anyway. 
I have been told that, folks. Number one, it's not right to lie or cheat. And number two, once again, we can't save the earth. But again, Christians can help do something about the world spiritually. And once more, folks, please don't take my word for it. This is a list of 48 PhDs in climatology. I wish you had the time to read all of them. I don't think you want me to. Every one of these individuals is against crisis climate change, is against climate fear. Every one of them believes there's far more to climate than just man-made carbon dioxide. Their numbers are increasing all the time. Some of these people used to work with the UN Climate Panel, and they have left in disgrace and in disgust in many cases. And again, their numbers are increasing all the time. And again, all these have earned doctoral degrees. The average young person has no idea that so many smart people have not bought into climate fear. Well, our next who's who, polar bears. How many here have heard the polar bears are all dying off and it's your fault? Well, two comments, please. Number one, polar bears became the ideal martyr, the ideal icon of climate fear. Because they're so warm and cute and cuddly, right? Well, number one, folks, just for the sake of accuracy, the polar bear is the number one terrestrial hypercarnivore on the planet Earth. It is an apex predator, which means it has no natural enemies. <laughs> it eats more meat on Earth than any other creature, and it eats nothing but meat. And guess what? Polar bears are extremely closely related to grizzly bears. How many think grizzly bears are cute, cuddly, Creatures. Not too many people, folks. But did you know that polar... Well, let me back up here. Does anybody know what kind of bear this is? Don't feel bad, I didn't either. This is a growler bear or pizzly bear. It is the fertile offspring of a polar bear and a grizzly bear. That's how much like polar bears are to grizzly bears. They can have fertile offspring. So, folks, I don't wish any harm to polar bears, but they are not cute, cuddly, sweet creatures. PhD Susan Crockford, Canadian zoologist, she said the moment polar bears became an icon of global warming, the media was willing to what? Stretch the truth in order to convey a convincing message of looming catastrophe. Polar bear images became a blatant appeal to the emotions of readers. This Canadian PhD climatologist, it's just silly to predict the demise of polar bears in 25 years based upon media-assisted Hysteria. But you think, wait a minute, Hoyle, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know yours a part two, but I want to know some more about polar bears right now, okay? Number one, what about all the mass drownings of polar bears? We're told they're drowning everywhere. Uh, no. The last mass drowning of polar bears was in 2004. Four dead polar bears were found on a North Alaskan beach. And guess what they found out? These polar bears died because of a, a storm the previous night before. They didn't die from climate change at all. Polar bears, by the way, are aquatic mammals. The average polar bear can swim faster, farther, and further than the finest human Olympic champion. <laughs> Number two, I've heard that polar bears can't even hunt during the summer anymore. That's a very disingenuous statement because, folks, polar bears had never liked hunting in the summer <laughs> at all. Polar bears do almost all their hunting in the spring, and then they do some more hunting in the fall and the winter. Once again, they have never liked hunting in the summer, and it's got nothing to do with climate change. 
Wait a minute, you say. I have heard polar bears are so hungry they're now turning to cannibalism. Once again, this is disingenuous. For those who think polar bears are cute, cuddly creatures, and I have a nephew who does, and I'm sorry about that, polar bears have always practiced cannibalism. Polar bears ordinarily eat baby seals. And if they don't want to exert themselves, and one of their cubs irritates them, apparently, they eat that cub. Polar bears have always eaten their own. It's got nothing to do with climate change. Well, I thought polar bears were starving. And folks, we now come to the most famous nature video of all time. Two and a half billion people have seen this National Geographic film about polar bears. In the film, we are told this polar bear is dying from starvation and it's your fault. Okay, folks, number one, polar bears have no natural enemies to kill them off. Polar bears always die due to either old age, disease, or injuries. The people, by the way, who made this film for National Geographic magazine only focused on this one polar bear and they left out all the other polar bears nearby that were perfectly healthy. Well, if he's dying from climate change, where's his company? Why aren't there other polar bears dying from it? He was the only one that they studied. Nobody else is dying. <laughs> they found he was starving to death, and they decided to blame you for it. Well, even hyper-environmentalists were disgusted with this video, folks. National Geographic had no choice in this issue here. August 2018, they printed a retraction of this video. And the chief author wrote, perhaps we made a mistake in not telling the full story, you think? <laughs> but the damage has been done, folks. Again, two and a half billion people have seen this film. Now, this article here, I read it, and it informed me that they have revised the film. I have looked and looked and looked on the Internet. They have lots and lots of old films available to see. I've not found a new one yet. <laughs> well, then, folks, aren't polar bears the martyrs of man? Well, yes and no. This Danish expert, folks, says man is partly responsible for a drop in polar bear numbers, but he blames it on overhunting, not climate change. In 1973, the five main polar bear countries got together and said, we need to do something about these polar bears. There are 18 polar bear populations, and they decided, we want to preserve these populations. We better cut back on hunting, and they did. The polar bear population skyrocketed in 16 out of the 18 populations. <laughs> one leveled off, and only one population group is still in decline due to overhunting. Susan Crawford, PhD zoology, a Canadian, wrote a massive book just about polar bears. I know it looks like a kiddie book, but it's not. She has 500 footnotes in her book to back up her statements. And she says, not only has the estimated global population size of polar bears not declined, it has increased by approximately 20%. The polar bear catastrophe the public was promised simply never happened. And here we have the proof. This chart comes from five different climate fear sources. Nobody from the other side is involved in these numbers. The polar bear population was down to 5,000 at one time. In 1973, they passed laws against polar bear hunting, and the numbers skyrocketed upward. The numbers are still going up, but not as fast, because guess what? So many uh, Native Canadians and Native Americans 
were upset about not shooting polar bears, that they allowed for some loopholes. And a law was passed that you can shoot a polar bear if your life is in danger. Well, there's an easy loophole around that one, folks. Two guys go out, they find a polar bear. One of them goes up to the polar bear and sticks him with a poke, or pokes him with a stick. He runs away, claiming his life is in danger. <laughs> his buddy then shoots the polar bear, legally. <laughs> so see, folks, easy fix. <laughs> but the good news, folks, is the polar bears are going up in numbers. They're not going down. The worldwide, uh, uh, I keep wanting to say wrestling uh, fellowship, <laughs> the Wildlife Welfare Fund, folks, automatically claimed polar bears were critically endangered when it crunched their numbers. They said, uh-oh, we're wrong. They're just endangered. Then they said, uh-oh, we're still wrong. They're just vulnerable. Well, folks, there are over a 1,000 major creatures that are vulnerable, not just polar bears. For example, the hippopotamus. Is anybody here losing sleep over the hippopotamus? Anybody? Nobody is worried about the hippopotamus? You should be, because they're vulnerable. The fact is, almost all other animals are called near-threatened when they're really not. The only creatures, folks, that really aren't in trouble, according to the, the fund here, are rabbits, cockroaches, and um, rats. <laughs> Nevertheless, a lot of fine people are making a lot of money writing books and articles that are scary about polar bears, and they're just, they're not true. <laughs> Time magazine, of course, once again, really pushed the demise of polar bears. Well, folks, let me say this. I read both copies of the UN Climate Panel's report on environmentalism, on the climate, and they pushed polar bears hard in part one, the first edition. Polar bears are virtually ignored in the second one. Why is that? Because they're not endangered anymore. They crack down on hunting, their numbers are coming back. Al Gore's first film and book really pushes polar bears hard. Guess what? There's nothing about polar bears in Al Gore's second film and second book. <laughs> they're not endangered after all. And folks, back to the High Court of London. The High Court of London ruled that Al Gore grossly exaggerated the threat to polar bears, and they are no longer considered endangered. Well, finally, we come to who's who, as in ye and me. And folks, God's people are supposed to be salt and light in this, earth, in this world, right? Until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, we need to keep on keeping on for him and focus on evangelism and back off an environmentalism thing a little bit. Well, next, we turn to the where, our first stop is Greenland. I didn't know this, Pastor. Greenland has a flag. That's your flag right there. I thought that was intriguing. Has anybody but me ever wondered something? Why is that gigantic island, almost the size of a continent, near Iceland, why is it called Greenland? Has anybody else ever wondered that? My father served in the Air Force at Thule Air Force Base in Greenland. He said it was hell and a cold place. He said, I saw nothing green in Greenland. Why is it called Greenland? Because it used to be green. Oops, got jumped ahead here. Greenland used to look something like this during the medieval warm period. You see, folks, there have been five climate periods in the last 2,000 years, and man has had nothing to do with this. The one that we think is very interesting is the medieval warm period for about 400 years during the time of the Crusaders. The earth was hotter than it is today, and they never, ever mention this in our schools. 
Then our earth for about 400 years got really, really cold. And then starting approximately 1850, our earth is now in a warming period. And we had nothing to do with it. During the medieval warm period, Greenland was green. And this guy here went from Iceland, I'm sorry, Denmark, to Greenland, Eric the Red. He loved what he saw in Greenland. He went back home and said, hey, everybody, it's green. Come and visit. 4,000 Vikings ultimately settled in Greenland. But guess what, folks? They all had to leave because it started getting cold and icy and snowy and white. But Greenland stuck, didn't it? Second stop, Florida. In our second program, we focus on Washington State, but Florida is kind of the ground zero regarding climate fear. First of all, there seems to be great fear about the sea level rising. Al Gore's second film, boy, it camps on sea level rising in Florida, okay? Well, among other people, this geophysicist with a PhD, he's also America's most famous chef, nightmare scenarios Gore describes the state of Florida disappearing under rising seas, for instance, don't have any basis in physical reality in any reasonable time frame. No climate model shows them happening. The sea surface, folks, has risen very, very little. The, U the um, UK High Court of Justice reached the same conclusion. And somebody says, well, wait a minute. Isn't Florida getting smaller? Isn't there more water around it? Isn't it shrinking? Well, that's not so much shrinking as it is sinking. It's called geological subsistence. A great deal of especially eastern Florida is built on debris. <laughs> it's built on sand and gravel. This is not a good thing. Pastor was a contractor. Pastor, would you build a, a, a giant skyscraper on sand and gravel? Not a good idea. I would have to concur. And they have buildings sinking all the time here. These buildings are built not just on sand and gravel, but organic leftovers, bushes and trees that are now rotting under their feet. Geological subsistence. And folks, we saw the result of that, didn't we? Two years ago. That condo collapsed, and they concluded, and this did not get a lot of publicity, but you can Wikipedia it, they did not emphasize the fact that a great deal of the blame was because this condo, like so many other structures, is built on sand and gravel and organic debris. And folks, they're predicting that this is only the beginning. A year before that condo collapsed, two geologists wrote this article, it's a technical article, predicting it would happen in Miami and also Norfolk, Virginia. My personal opinion, folks, my recommendation, do not buy a condo, all right, <laughs> in these two areas. Not a good idea. This article here is predicting other structures are going to collapse too. So geological subsistence, things are sinking more than they are shrinking in Florida. I'm reminded, Pastor, of that famous verse, do not be like unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. It fell, and great was its fall. Secondly, we keep hearing about hurricanes and are blaming you and your carbon dioxide for it. Ooh, Dr. Max Mayfield, he's considered to be the greatest expert on hurricanes in history. PhD in meteorology, he was asked to serve on a climate panel. When they found out what he thought about climate fear, they fired him. He said the increased 
Hurricane activity since 1995 is due to natural fluctuations and not enhanced substantially by global warming. Ooh, politically incorrect. Princeton University atmospheric physicist William Happer, there isn't the slightest evidence that more carbon dioxide has caused more extreme weather. May I throw in a comment here, folks? It is true that the cost of hurricanes in Florida has skyrocketed. Do you know why? Because they keep building skyscrapers on the beaches. <laughs> and the skyscrapers are insured by FEMA. So these people don't care if these buildings collapse because they're insured. <laughs> the UN High Court reached the same conclusion as William Happer did. Third, wildfire, oh boy, do we hear about this. Well, this forestry expert, PhD, says extremely large megafires were more common before 1940, but almost all reports, like I mentioned earlier in the newspaper article, cover things after World War II. Fire risk due to carbon dioxide emissions is simply unscientific. And I was surprised, favorably speaking, the UN panel on climate change reached the same conclusion. You got to stop blaming wildfires on man-made carbon dioxide warming up the atmosphere. That's a big, long subject. But let me throw this in for free. Folks, we keep being told in 2020, I'm sorry, uh, uh, 20, yeah, 2020, that was the worst year on record for Washington State fire, uh, <laughs> wildfires, and it's due to you, your man-made carbon dioxide. Guess what? I checked. Go online. Do you know what was the worst year in American history and in Washington State history for wildfires? 1910. 1910. You can't blame that on man-made carbon dioxide because in Washington State, we had a few thousand Model T cars. <laughs> very few electrical power plants and very few factories. I don't think man had anything to do with all those wildfires in 1910, do you? We covered this more in our second program. The National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration has been keeping track of the hottest day in each state for the last 100 years. Now, if the climate fear folks, bless their hearts, are correct, almost all states should have had their hottest temperature ever within the last 10 or 20 years, right? Not at all. As already indicated earlier, almost one half of these American states had their hottest temperatures ever in the 1930s. I did some checking. Do you know we have 11 times more cars today than in the 1930s? But the 1930s were warmer. <laughs> we have far more electrical power plants and far more factories than in the 1930s. But the 1930s had more temperature spikes way back then than we do here today. And folks, guess what? The hottest day ever in Florida wasn't the last 10 or 20 years. It was in 1931. <laughs> I just read today a paper, it said that Washington State has had the hottest temperatures ever on record. They never tell you how far back the record goes. I've already checked, folks. Do you know what was the hottest day in Washington State? In 1961. <laughs> we have three times more cars today than in 1961. So how come 1961 was hotter? Because man-made carbon dioxide isn't the main factor. Third stop, the sun. Ooh, hot subject, literally. This physicist, PhD, a Brit, he says, 
Variable behavior of the sun is an obvious explanation for climate change, and there's increasing evidence that Earth's climate responds to changing patterns of solar energy. Astrophysicist William Burroughs, all aspects of Earth's climate are governed by what? The energy received by the sun, it controls all climatic processes. Willie Soon, PhD, Astrophysics, Harvard University. It is very difficult, in my opinion, to insist and suggest that carbon dioxide is going to drive the climate system. Why not study it, the sun, carefully? Or, I love this book. It's a technical book. Took me a while to get through it. Written by six German scientists, two with PhDs. The neglected sun. The entire book is on the sun and climate. This book has 1,300 footnotes. These guys document everything over and over and over again. They point out there are various types of solar cycles of various lengths, as we said earlier. These by far had this big, biggest impact upon the Earth. Indeed, folks, could we use some common sense here for a second? Okay. What do you think is going to have a bigger impact upon the Earth's climate? The full electromagnetic theory of a thermonuclear hydrogen fusion power G2 star, the sun, or 0.042% of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. Hello. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Next, we turn to when. First of all, can we have a timeout here regarding doomsday dogmatism? Al Gore promises the debate is over. We must act now. There are lots of people saying the debate never got started. <laughs> or his name is Bond, James Bond. Pierce Brosnan informs us that regarding crisis climate change, we are on the precipice, he says, over the precipice. And of course, being a brilliant climatologist, we should pay attention to what he says, right? A whole lot of really smart people don't agree, folks. Anthony Cook, once again, Australia's most popular astrophysicist. Perhaps we don't know all there is to know about climate change, and maybe its debate is not really over after all. This man, PhD, an environmentalist, he admits the best way to get people to believe that man-caused climate change is a crisis is to make sure nobody comes along to cross-examine it. Second time out regarding doomsday deadlines, Al Gore promised in 2007, that in 10 years, it's all over. Well, I, I must have missed something. 10 years later, it was 2017. Did anybody detect the end of the earth? Any major, I don't remember. Poor King Charles. Over and over again, he has promised doom and gloom. His deadlines come and they go. Or we've been assured by this climate expert, like the world's going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change, and she has predicted... In the year 2031, it's all over. So would you please mark your calendars, 2031, it's over. <laughs> Folks, these climate predictions are based upon computer models, and they sound very scientific. However, I have two nephews who are computer geniuses. They're computer engineers. They laugh at all this, and they tell me, number one, Uncle Tom, computers are not crystal balls. You get out of them what you put into them. And you can make a climate model do almost anything you want. Garbage in, garbage out. This man here is considered to be the successor of Thomas Alva Edison. 
He's a polymath, which means he's a genius about almost everything. Technically, he's an astrophysicist, and he says climate prediction models are enormously crude. They're crude in space, and they're crude in time. There's an enormous amount of natural phenomena they can't model. This atmospheric physicist says, catastrophic climate predictions or models are about half a step away from PlayStation 3. Many of the assumptions going into them are simply not right. Naomi Oreskes is a very famous climate fear expert. She has a very famous scary film out and a very famous scary book. She's a big fan of Al Gore and vice versa. And folks, I was impressed though, at the end of her book, she comes clean as well and she actually made this statement. There are far too many uncertainties in our climate models to take their predictions as gospel. Hello? <laughs> they want to spend hundreds of billions of dollars on all these uncertainties. And then, uh-oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, I should have proofread this. Our next time out, global cooling? What do you mean global cooling? We're all burning up, right? We're going to go back, back, back into time. A very scary time, folks. We are going back to the golden age of polyester. <laughs> We're going to go back to the 1970s. How many here are still in therapy over the 1970s? Very, very scary time. I'm trying to forget the 1970s, folks. I have in my files all kinds of articles from magazines and newspapers and technical journals. I have several books in my library, all telling you back in the 1970s, we're all going to freeze to death. Due to man-made carbon dioxide, an ice age is coming instead, and we're all going to die from extreme cold instead of from any kind of global warming. By the way, let me back up here. You know what I did as an experiment? Newsweek magazine probably had the most famous expose called The Cooling World. Newsweek magazine predicted that in a few years we're all going to freeze to death and it's your fault. You know what I did, Pastor? Every place it said cold or cooling, I replaced it with warm or warming. It still made sense. <laughs> Time magazine had a similar feature article. These two experts said, Time and Newsweek always look for what? Scares on which they can run scarifying stories from global cooling to global warming. Which brings me to my favorite alien, Mr. Spock. You can find it online, folks. I found three different places. Leonard Nimoy, a.k.a. Mr. Spock, had a wonderful show called In Search Of. He has an entire... Pastor's writing this down. <laughs> he has an entire episode on global cooling. In that program, he writes, clearly one of the future's greatest problems will be to survive the next ice age. But sea ice could be melted by covering it with what? Black soot to increase the absorption of sunlight. People back then wanted to cover the North Pole with black ash to bring in, absorb more sunlight and heat up the North Pole. Exactly the opposite of what they want to do now. I like this article in Forbes magazine. It said that Bill Gates wants to do the exact opposite. He wants to dump tons of white chalk in the atmosphere over the North Poles to, that's right, reflect sunlight back and make the North Pole colder, not warmer. And it says, what could go wrong? <laughs> in short, folks, during the 1930s to 50s, people worried about too much heat, global warming, and it's your fault. Then, 1960s and 70s, I remember very vividly, they were worried about the exact opposite, global cooling. Then, 
in the, as you can see here, 1980s to 90s, we're back to global warming. Well, somebody got very smart among our climate fear friends, and they decided to hedge your bets. Global warming is kind of an archaic, out-of-date term. Did you know that? They now prefer the term climate change because no matter what the weather does, you can blame it on you. <laughs> Final timeout. We got some good news. There is a earth, new earth coming, isn't there? The Bible tells us the Creator, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> excuse me. He's coming again, and He's going to change this earth, isn't He? He's going to burn up this earth and remake it, isn't He? It won't be due to your man-made carbon dioxide, will it? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Last, not least, and we're going to close. You've been very great. I appreciate your patience. Some of you are thinking, let my people go. <laughs> we come to, how should we respond? Glad you asked. There's several things I would say. Number one, beware, not just regarding climate change, beware regarding anything in the press, folks, whether it's creation versus evolution or the transgender thing or whatever. The Bible warns us, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. This Japanese environmentalist admits global warming fears are the worst scientific scandal in history. When people come to know what the truth is, they will feel deceived by pseudoscience. That means, folks, when you read the newspaper, watch the news on TV, you've got to do it with not just a grain of salt, but lots of grains of salt and maybe some pepper too. Secondly, how should we, be, uh, how should we respond? I say be ready. The Bible says, be ready always to give an answer to every man. For, for example, when you read or hear something about crisis climate change has been proven, you might ask yourself, uh, when did that happen? How did they prove it? Well, they haven't, folks. <laughs> you will read something could, may, or might get worse or go extinct, etc. Well, could, may, and might are really vague terms. <laughs> Are we talking about a 10% chance or a 90% chance? And then, folks, we will read or hear expert or experts claim, blame, or warn. That's a very vague term. What does experts mean? Are we talking about two people or a thousand people? It could be just two people, folks. They don't tell you. And by the way, let me throw this in for free. As I said before in my second program, we, we point this out. When you read Hottest or worst on record. How far back does a record go? If it goes back 100 years, they're going to have to admit the 1930s were worse than what things are now. But most of all, most of all, most of all, how should we respond, be, uh, be responding? I'd say, <laughs> be saved. Folks, man's number one problem is not carbon dioxide. Point. 0.42% of our atmosphere. It is sin. Now, that's our biggest problem. But the good news is the Creator wants to be our Savior and help us take care of that matter. Right, folks? I would urge you, if you've never done this, please consider it. Confess your sins, repent of your sins, ask forgiveness of your sins, and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And again, I'm sure pastor would be delighted to share the plan of salvation, the gospel, with anyone here, and I'm sure we have ladies that can do the same for the ladies. And our focus should be on helping to save this world spiritually for the Lord and not losing too much sleep about trying to save the earth from man-made carbon dioxide. 
May we have the lights, please. I want to thank you very much for coming. I would be happy to talk with you afterwards. I hope once again this has been worth your time. Um, having said all that, my time is up. So I thank you. God bless you. Final message from our sponsor, Pastor. Thank you, Tom. And again, there is a love offering basket in the back, and there are a whole three tables worth of resources that you're welcome to peruse and take advantage of. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll lead in um, some worship music. So, Father, we thank you for a good